0: What's going on, family? This is your boy, DJ Preach, the founder of The Life Show Radio, and I see that you're doing great things right now by keeping it locked here on the MTMV Sports Podcast. Y'all better be talking about the Carolina Panthers. Let's go!
1: Hello and welcome to the Know Your Personnel Podcast. We're on all major podcast apps sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Please remember to leave us a rating. Download and share this episode with a friends so as we can continue to grow the game. I'm very excited for our next guest. Let's jump in. Welcome to the podcast. I have a special guest with me today, one of my dear friends, Yafet King. Uh, Yafet is an assistant coach at SMU, Southern Methodist University in Texas. Uh, Yafet is one of the most well-traveled basketball players and coaches I think I've ever met. And I don't know if we'll be able to get into everywhere he's been, uh, but we're gonna get into a lot of it. Uh Fed, thank you very much for coming here and joining
0: us. I appreciate you having me, Nick, man. It's good to see you. It's good to see you too. Um,
1: let's start at the beginning. Um, where did you grow up? Um, how did you get into falling in love with the game?
0: Um, so um uh, my history of growing up is is a little it's a little detailed. I mean, I my parents are from New York City and spent some time there. I lived in North Carolina, I lived in Durham, North Carolina, um, all the way up until sixth grade year of middle school, and then we moved down to Florida, and I lived in Florida for some time, the St. Petersburg and Clearwater area, um, went to high school down there, I went to Clearwater High School for two years, I went to Lakewood High School for my last two years, actually for a year and a, for a, year and a half, I went to Riverside High School back in Durham, North Carolina again for another half of a year, so um my high school journey was pretty was was pretty crazy I mean we moved around a lot bounced around to a lot of places um you know at that time life was life was tough and you know you're just trying to figure out a way to make it through and that's that was kind of it right there
1: so right off the bat here we're uh we're just a minute in yeah and uh I've heard Brooklyn I've heard New York I've heard North Carolina I've heard Florida and I've heard three high schools in Florida while you're there and I think a high school in North Carolina as well back and forth so yeah Yeah. before you're even out of high school there's been several different places well you know I'm a high school basketball coach and so high school Mm -hmm. basketball is 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 my heart Mm -hmm. tell me uh who did you play for and uh you know talk about your high school coach your high school program and what that meant to you albeit you were probably in several different places
0: Sure. So um, the high school that I, I played basketball at and I started it was at Clearwater High School. And I played for a coach by the name of Rudy Coffin. And uh, Coach Coffin was a really good coach. Um, Clearwater High School had good tradition. They sent a lot of players to Division I, um, you know, state title appearances. Um, I started on varsity as a freshman at Clearwater High School and had um, um, a good experience. And I played my sophomore year um that what well, let me let me rewind that freshman year's team went to the um state tournament and I was there playing in the state tournament um my sophomore year we won conference we won did we win district no we didn't win district we lost district but we lost lost conference and I think we lost in the second round of the playoffs but um nonetheless I played for Rudy Coffin coach Coffin was a good coach he was tough he was disciplined um Taught me work ethic. You know, one of the things as a coach that I always appreciated for him is that he invested in his players as players. You know, in the summertime, I can really remember, um, you know, I had summer school, you know, just goofing off at school a little bit, me personally. But we'd have summer school. And I remember getting off the bus from summer school and going right to the gym. He would open up the gym in the summertime and you work on skill development, you'd work on your ball handling, you work on your shooting. And then there were always people around. And during that time, you know, this is 94, 95. You know, you're talking about this is the pickup ball era. So there was always mm-hmm. great pickup ball in the gym, where players from uh, maybe some other high schools, not as much, but a couple of players from other high schools. But college players would come back, and just people within the community would come and play pickup ball. Former players that went to the high school, so um, really learned appreciation for work ethic, learned an appreciation for tradition, and those are some of the things that I got from uh, Coach Coffin at clubwood High School.
1: Um. And after it seemed like after high school, you played Mm -hmm. for uh, Redlands Community College, and that's a national junior college, correct? Yep. Yep. One thing that we don't understand or don't have out here in the West Coast is national JCs. And I'm friends with a lot of JC coaches and a lot of, and I played JC, know a lot of JC players, and you know they don't even understand that in the national JC there's scholarships, there's dorms. I mean, it's like it's like a college, Mm -hmm. and you played for one of the best out in Oklahoma and Redlands Community College. Do you talk about that? Uh, can you talk about that experience?
0: Yeah, so I, this is actually a, um, a pretty interesting portion of the story. So um, I didn't go to high school right out of college. So, you know, I kind of took a non-traditional route, you know, things like I said, the my, my, my portion of my life when I was coming up was just a little difficult. There were some things in my life that was pretty tough. You know, my mom Being a single parent and that, you know, and then I was being difficult at the time, being a knucklehead, not listening, kind of wasting a lot of the gifts that I had in life, just doing all the wrong things at the time. And so for me, you know, there was a point um, where one day I life a little bit, just kind of I was working a nine to five, you know. um, And I remember sitting there one day saying to myself, like, this can't be my life. This can't be what it ends up being. And from that point there, I started putting steps in place to kind of actively change and start morphing my life into what I wanted to be. And one of the first steps was getting back into college. And at the time, I didn't know how I was going to pay for college. You know, I didn't, I didn't, you know, I didn't come from my, my, both of my parents were very smart people, but they were hardworking people. They were blue collar people. So um, I didn't really understand the whole process, how you get to pay for college. So I said, I'm going to use basketball to pay for school. And so one foot in front of the other, I drive from St. Petersburg, Florida, all the way out to Wichita, Kansas, to go work out for a coach um, by the name of Steve Eck. And I work out for him. I play against some of his former players. And his former players all came up to me and said, hey, you got to sign this guy. He can really play. And at the time, Coach Eck didn't have a scholarship. And I remember uh, the conversation. He was telling me that I could walk on if I wanted to. And I told Coach, I said, hey. If you want to win, you'll find a scholarship for me. That was a conversation. <laughs> the coach will tell you that. <laughs> and he kind of chuckles and says, Hey, I like this guy. He's kind of got a little confidence and a little arrogance about him, and, you know, some swagger. And so it was, uh, I, I, so needless to say, I paid my own way first semester at Redlands Community College. I ended up starting, earning the starting spot. And um, second semester, we had a player quit on the team, and coach immediately gave me a scholarship. And um, we ended up going to the, Division two National Championship, winning the National Championship. I was on the uh, Division two all-tournament team. Um, the following year, we moved up to Division one, and uh, we won 32 games, lost three, uh, went to Hutch. I think at that time, we were the first team to ever go from Division two to Division one and qualify. And a lot of people actually picked us to win, it. we ended up getting upset in the first round. But it was a great experience. In two years, I won 62 games, lost eight uh played with 13 or 14 Division One basketball players during that time. Um, we had a really good team. It was a great experience. I learned how to win. Um, for me, it was really exciting because I got a chance to complete something and complete it at a high level for the first time in my life and see it through. You know, For me, I was on a second chance, and I wasn't going to let anything uh, deter me or distract me from making good on my second chance.
1: It seems like this was, and and for most people being in a place for two years isn't a big deal, but it seems like for you Mm -hmm. to be in the same place, on the same schedule, same routine for two years was quite an accomplishment. It must Mm -hmm. have been, there must have been some structure in place and some leadership in place from that coach and his staff that kept you drawn in and that kept you there and and didn't let you get off the right path. How did your coach, Coach A, how did he help you uh,
0: in that? I I think... um probably one of the biggest things just personally was just that I was a little older, so I had matured, and there were a lot of things that um, I had already experienced at 19 and 20 years old that, you know, I I wasn't in college for people to see and the people to judge and view, and so when I got to college at 21, I was was focused. I was locked in. I was 20, 21 years old. I was focused. I was locked in. Um, I I wasn't going to let anything deter me and get me off of this path. Now, obviously, the things were in place like study hall was in place. We had a Mm -hmm. curfew that was in place, but ultimately it was up to me to take advantage of those opportunities. And like I said before, I wasn't going to let anything knock me off my path. I had this second chance at life, had the second chance at basketball. It was a redo over for me and I was going to make good on it.
1: Well, it seems like you were, uh, you definitely grew up, uh, in a hurry after Mm -hmm. high school and Mm -hmm. you had your goals and you stuck to them. And I mean, I think we both know you would, we wouldn't be sitting here today if you didn't uh, stay on track there at, at Redlands Community College, uh, for sure. No doubt about it. No doubt about it. And so that that's a good story. I'm sure you talk to your recruits all the time because, you know, and many times in our business, there are players who come from different difficult circumstances and uh, you and I came from single mm-hmm. parent homes and you moved all over the place, not a lot mm-hmm. of money around and and yet you are mm-hmm. an accomplished basketball coach, a division one, uh, a division one coach is a big deal. A lot of people want to be that. And we'll talk about more about that later, but you really have, you mm-hmm. know, developed yourself and, and it really came from inside. Basketball was the vehicle that you used. I think that's a great story. Uh, so you mm-hmm. uh, had, a, had played for a national JC and you were one of the top JC's in the country and you were uh, mm-hmm. recognized as a, a player at the state level and at the and at the national level. Then you got recruited from Oklahoma to Cal State Fullerton. Uh, talk to go me Titans. about yeah, yes, Go <laughs> Titans. Talk to me about that uh, recruiting process and how that came to be.
0: So um, I'll I tell you a pretty interesting story. So, um, so during that second year, I mean, I, I spent the whole summer of my sophomore year in junior college in Atlanta, and I played at the run and shoot every single day, and I really was so focused on honing my game and just doing everything I could. I worked out. I played basketball sun up to sundown. I mean, I, like, literally ate, sleep, drank basketball on, like, a completely different level that year because I was focused. I wanted to be I – wa- I wanted to win a national championship. I wanted to be very celebrated as a player because I thought that was something I missed on high school, so I was very focused on that as a uh, college mm-hmm. sophomore. And so coming back the next year, we have this unbelievable team. Um, a couple of my teammates, Taj Gray, played at Oklahoma. Brandon Pope played at Butler University. Was that the footer? Uh the Taj footer was 6'8", 6'9". Six, six, oh, yeah. yeah, Taj was six eight, six nine. Yeah. He was a all-Big 12 basketball yeah. player. Um, I remember him. Brandon Pope, yeah, he went to the Butler University. Mm-hmm. And he was there when Butler, just right before the whole deal, he was kind of the guy that kind of laid the groundwork for Butler to kind of become what it is today. Um and so I played with those guys. We kind of formed the front line. Um, we had some other really good players. Andre Hurry went to Binghamton. He was a heck of a player. But like I said, we played with 13 Division I basketball players. And so we're rolling through the year. We're beating everybody. We're having a great year. I go home on Christmas break, you know, playing pickup ball, trying to stay in shape, and I break my foot. I break my fifth metatarsal, which is, you know, the pinky, the, basically the pinky foot. And I was out for seven or eight weeks or so. and. Um, Missed a good portion of it. And my recruitment kind of took a different turn. You know, it took a different turn. And, you know, I was very particular about where I wanted to go, who I wanted to be with, the type of people I wanted to be around. And where I, like, quite honestly, where I wanted to live, like, my last two years. And um, Andy Newman was somebody who I was very close to and spent a lot of time with on the phone. They recruited me to come out to Cal State Fullerton. I remember coming on a visit. They had just got the job there. He and Coach Burton had just got the job there. And I remember one of the things that was so interesting just on a visit, you know, normally you spend a lot of time with the teammates and future guys, but they had just got the job there. And so I really got a chance to spend the time with the staff and really coach Burton and coach Newman really kind of took the, uh, took charge of the recruitment and I really enjoyed the hands-on approach that they had. And I liked what they were talking about and what they offered. It was opportunity to come in and build something special to be on the ground floor and build some tradition and, that was something I was excited about because I wanted to leave my mark on a program.
1: Well, you definitely did that. So um, eventually you ended up signing at Fullerton. Mm -hmm. You came here and Mm -hmm. um, what were, it wasn't an easy start. And I know that for a fact, it was not an easy start for you there. What were some of the differences right away between uh, a national JC where you had 13 D one guys and an actual Mm -hmm. division one program?
0: Yeah, so um, there was a a lot of things. I think, you know, I I know when I broke my foot, one of the biggest things was that I I never gave myself a chance to properly heal like I was supposed to. And so I spent the summer really just kind of getting off of my feet and letting my foot heal up a little bit was really the biggest deal. Because I was pushing it and pressing myself to come back because I wanted to win that national championship. I wanted to Mm -hmm. do something nobody else did, go back to back, from D2 to D1. And um, it wasn't probably the best thing for me. So I I didn't come in to college in the best shape at all. Like I was really not in great shape. Uh, It was the first time that conditioning and lifting weights was the first time that we really did that kind of stuff. Um, The level of intensity of practice, the level of intensity of the coaches was different than what I was Mm -hmm. used to. And it took me some time to adjust to that. But I think one of the big things that I, I, I remember just was even as bad as things were, I always reminded myself, just keep showing up every day and keep working as hard as you can because eventually you'll break through the
1: uh, You know, they say that 80% of success is just showing up. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, I know that it was your conditioning was tough for you. And you did what mm-hmm. a lot of athletes do is, is you, you know, you, you want to come back as soon as possible. And I, mm-hmm. I know, in, and I bet in your spot, you know, you wanted, to, you wanted to participate, you wanted to win the championship, you wanted scholarships, mm-hmm. you wanted all those mm-hmm. things. And Mm -hmm. so, you know, sitting with a broke with your foot up is not the way to get it, but no question, you know, now that injuries are obviously a part of our game, I I bet that's a good advice that you give to your athletes at all Mm -hmm. levels, guys, you're recruiting. I bet that you've probably jumped in on some recruits who've gotten hurt late in their their time and then you're able to jump Mm -hmm. on them and, you know, Mm kind of help them with that. So at the time it seemed like, you know, maybe everything was crashing down, but uh, it ended up being what was what was best for you there. So you good had a question. you had a good career there at, at Cal State Fullerton. I believe you were all league your senior year, if I remember correctly.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, yep.
1: What what did you what did you learn from you know the coaches? I have Coach Burton on tomorrow morning. I have Coach uh, Newman on tonight. Actually, later on, I got to listen to both of those. Yeah, I know you do. I <laughs> well, I, I got to get my guys on there. Um, what did you learn from those coaches? Because you know at that time I still remember we were conditioning and you were struggling and the players, you know, it wasn't, you know, division one is, is it's a business and there's mm-hmm. friendships and things, but there weren't no friendships that day. And, and I remember the players were all over you. They wanted you out. I remember the coaches, I remember one of the coaches said, we had a chance between you and a seven footer and Andy, yeah. who would you have gotten? I had to picked the yeah. seven footer. And it's just yeah. like you were there and you were, you were on an Island. The players yeah. were pissed at you. The coaches were demeaning you. And, yeah. uh, and but you still have a great relationship with them today. So explain how you've how you developed that relationship and what you've learned from the coaches.
0: I mean, I, I think um at the end of the day, like I it's it's so funny because, you know, that first year we were there, we wanted, we were at eleven and seventeen that year, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. And it was a it was a tough year. I mean, there were a lot of things and a lot of moving pieces and a lot of dynamic that was really different. We played in the NBA center, pop solo and we really ran a lot of everything through pop, which we should have, you know. Um, and then, you know, we kind of had a, we had an a interesting point guard battle. We had Zachy Smith, which is my yeah. guy. I love him to death. And then Bobby mm-hmm. Bird, who put, I mean, Bobby Brown who played in the NBA and those two guys were different guards. And yeah. there was a, a lot of just a lot of these moving pieces. Cause you know, there was, you know, a new staff in place with old players mm-hmm. and a lot of trying to find out what works best and how we're going to win games. Um, I think the biggest portion of it for me was just that like I just, every day I looked at myself, like I know I can be better. And when the best version of myself comes out, then all of that stuff will be quiet. You know, and that was just mm-hmm. my deal. I just said, I'm going to just keep fighting, keep working and I'm going to show up and I'm going to give my best. And, and I know my best is good enough. And when my best comes out, then everybody won't, won't have anything to say.
1: Uh, one of the things people ask me, cause I've had the privilege to work with a few pros with you guys there and a lot of D1 guys in my high school travels. And, then you know, what's the difference between a, a pro and, and a regular player and, and a D1 player and regular player? And my yeah. my experience has been that determination. It was, like, guys like you who just said, I am good enough and I'm not going to quit. You know, like, I'm going to be that player and nothing can stop me and I'm going to do whatever it takes to be that. And, like, almost to a point where there's no plan B. But, like, there is, but there isn't. It's, like, I'm going to be that guy. And that's that. Right. And that's, that's what I've noticed with, with guys like you, and you play professionally, and you were a D1 guy. Uh, mm-hmm. Do you see that in, in players that you work with and coach?
0: Yeah, actually, I, I want to bring something back to the last point. And actually, mm-hmm. to answer your question a little bit better, everything that I went through in my personal life mm-hmm. to get to this point, all the trials and tribulations that I went through, the last thing that I was going to let run me off was some people doubting me and some naysayers. So mm-hmm. whether that came from my coaches and whether that came from my teammates and even personal self-doubt, like for me to sit there and think that there wasn't even opportunities where I was like, man, this is tougher than I ever imagined. But at the same time, like, like i made it this far, I, I'd be damned if I'm going to quit.
1: Yeah. Right.
0: You right. Know? So that was, that was the furthest thing from my mind. So, um, like I said, just all the personal things that I went through in my life, that was you know, Coach getting on me, Andy getting on me, my teammates being frustrated with me. That was the last thing that I was worried about.
1: Well, and it showed. And it showed. You definitely did not let that affect you. And like you yeah. said, you ended up showing everybody what you could do. And yeah. you uh, you ended up having a really good career there. Uh, yeah. you, played, you played in Austria for two years. Um, yeah. w- explain a little bit about the pro process and being a professional player.
0: Yeah. Um, I, I tell you what. Um, I was only in Vienna for a year. I only played in Austria for a year. OK. Um. Yeah. So one of the interesting things was when, when you go over there and you're playing professional basketball, the biggest difference getting over there, like the first one was the time difference was crazy. Yeah. You know, going from California to Vienna, it was like a nine or 10 hour time difference. Wow. And I remember you like you're sleeping when you're supposed to be awake, you're awake when you're supposed to be mm-hmm. sleeping. And like and, and when you get there, people are expecting certain results right away. Again, you know, yeah. it's like a business. I mean, it's even more of a heightened business than it is now. And uh, but one of the things that I did learn, and just through my whole process, was just being a professional and just showing up to work on time every day, Um, being somebody that people enjoy being around, um, someone that people enjoy, you know, coaching. I know one of the things that I did, you know, we had a younger club there. I would come and watch those guys play and practice because they practiced before us. I would watch those guys practice, and I would talk to those guys and spend some time with them, and that was a portion of me being a professional and giving back. I think so often through this whole process of basketball and being an athlete, everybody just takes and nobody gives. And in order for you to really enjoy this whole process, you have to give something back. You just can't take through your whole life. Mm -hmm.
1: Um, So that, so you finish your playing career in Austria, Mm -hmm. then you Mm -hmm. start to go down the coaching path and Mm -hmm. your coaching path. I think most resembles what a college coach looks like. A lot mm-hmm. of coaches they have a dream of being a college coach, and they see the Shasheskis and the Bayheims and the mm-hmm. Roy Williamses of the world. Mm-hmm. But those guys are the are the 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 the, the minority. I mean, they're they're the one percent that the point zero zero one percent of coaches. Most coaches in the college game resemble a a career like yours. I'm going to list it, then we'll go through it. You sure. started uh, at Red, you went back to Redlands. You became mm-hmm. an assistant there, then a head coach. Uh, mm-hmm. Then after that, you went to Texas A and M Corpus Christi, Law mm-hmm. Tech,
0: and SMU.
1: Did I miss anything there? No, you got everything. So you've been. Oh, you, do
0: you have Cal, do you have Cali County? Cali, 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 Cali
1: Community College. Cali, Cali County right. Community College. So your, so yep. your, so and where is Cali? In Kansas. In Kansas. So yep. Oklahoma, Kansas, Texas, uh, Louisiana,
0: Oklahoma, Oklahoma, Kansas, back to Oklahoma, then Texas.
1: Right. And then law tech and then back gotcha. to Texas. So, yep. you know, what people don't understand about the college game is that, you know, it's so like I've been, I was a high school coach for 11 years. And now this is my fourth year and we, we own a house and we, you know, we, we have friends at church and we, and mm-hmm. we, we know all our places, you know, with mm-hmm. you, you know, it's, it's three years at one place. Then you're gone two years at mm-hmm. another place. Then you're gone one year, at mm-hmm. one place, then you're gone. And it's tough mm-hmm. to uproot your family. It's tough for your <clears throat> wife to make new friends. It's tough for your kids mm-hmm. to get into a new school that's that's college coaching and that's kind of the stuff that people don't understand and you know and and I'm sure this won't happen God forbid but if your head coach decides to go somewhere else at the end of this season you guys Mm -hmm. are out on your own and you're not looking for a new coaching job and it could be anywhere in the country talk to me about first let's start with let's start with you as a head coach and having your own program at Mm -hmm. Redlands Community College so you took over Mm -hmm. a program that's one of the best in the country how Mm -hmm. do you come in as a first year head coach and jump into a program that's one of the top top programs in the country.
0: Um, so, I, and I want to I want to go back to something. You know, you were talking about just the journey a little bit. You know, I, I think one of the things that people kind of often, you know, you see a coach and you meet coaches on the road. You meet Division One coaches and you look up to them. You inspire them. You admire them a little bit. You mm-hmm. say, "Hey, I can do what they can do, and I want to do what they can do." But you always look at those guys like currently where they're at. You know what I mean? Correct. Like when you meet someone and you say, oh, man, that's the assistant coach at, you know, University of California or UCLA, or you aspire to that. But you don't really look and see what his journey is like. You know, when Great I first point. got into coaching, I think I made a $1,000 a month. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I didn't get into it for the money right away. It was just a profession. And I knew it was a long game. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that that's something that really goes understated that sometimes when you want to get into coaching you have to take an opportunity and you have to make that opportunity a good opportunity, even though it may not have as much shine on it as some of the other things that may, you know, you you may see on a daily basis.
1: Yeah, no, I absolutely agree. What a lesson that is in life is that, you know, in this culture, and I I see it with the kids that I work with, they want everything right now. You know, they they want, they want to be at the top of the mountain right away. And, and there is a journey and a struggle and adversity that you must go through to even give yes. yourself a chance to get to the top. I mean, you can do all those Definitely. things and still never reach the top. I mean, I think that's no the question. Truth. And so, you know, you're right. You know, I, I, I have a lot of friends who have coached, and I know their steps like I know yours. But mm-hmm. it's not just you woke up one day and you're a highly paid Division I assistant coach at SMU. It didn't mm-hmm. happen like that. And you were a really mm-hmm. good player, professional player, and it, you still mm-hmm. had to walk through that. Tell mm-hmm. me about developing a program, because going from a player to a head coach, that's a heck of a transition. Tell me yeah. about building and maintaining your own program at Redlands for your, you were there for four years, correct?
0: Yeah. 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 I was the head coach there for four years. I think um, one of the things for me, I, I knew I always wanted to be a coach and I always kind of considered myself to be a coach on the floor as a player. I was a guy that you could put on the floor at all five positions. I knew mm-hmm. everybody's position on the floor. Um, I considered myself to be a guy that had a high IQ. And so um, I know for me becoming a coach that it was easy. It was, it the transition for me was a little bit easier because I was able to speak to each one of those positions because I understood what it took. I thought those positions through, but developing a program and being there on a daily basis was, it it was a lot of fun. You know, um, one of the things that you learn on a daily basis, um, just the organization Mm -hmm. is the biggest one being organized. So your guys have an idea about what to expect on a daily basis. I think it's so hard for you to be able to ask your players to be able to do certain things if they don't know what to expect and being able to communicate effectively what your expectations are, what your deal breakers are, what you uh, stand for as a culture. What is your, what is your culture? Um, What are your program philosophies? Those were all the things that I tried to implement to my guys. And At the end of the day, I wanted my guys to be resilient. I wanted them to be tough. I wanted them to be respectable men. I wanted them to be able to be, Somebody that could define themselves outside of basketball, that when they walked on the floor and they met people on a daily basis, that people would be impressed with them, not just being basketball players, but being people as well, too. Um, And that was a lot of time, a lot of relationships. I think relationships were the biggest thing, you know, spent a lot of time with those guys on and off the court. You know, when I got the job at Redlands, it was not the job that uh, I played for, you know, Mm -hmm, financially mm -hmm. things had changed at Redlands. And so there were a lot of uh, trials and tribulations that we all went through as coaches and as players. And the crazy thing about it is that the uh, tough things that we went through, those things allowed us to be able to be a lot closer, to be honest. You know, we all look back at those trials and tribulations that we went through and we laugh about them, we talk about them. I still have great relationships with those guys to this day. And those guys all look back at that time when they were in junior college as one of the best times of their lives. And I've had guys that have gone on to Playing the Big East, that have gone to play on the Missouri Valley. I mean, they've gone to play in some really good, prestigious programs. So um, I thought that was something that was pretty neat.
1: There's an underlying foundation of struggle and adversity when it comes to your story. Yeah. I think that's really built you to who you are. You know, I've never yeah. seen a team win a championship, hoist a trophy, and say, this year was great, nothing bad ever happened. You know, mm-hmm. they always say the same thing. We struggled through adversity, we came together as a team. We built relationships. We didn't. We didn't quit. That's what every championship team says, and I think that's what mm-hmm. every championship person says mm-hmm. as well. So you decided that uh, being a uh, head coach at the junior college wasn't wasn't what you wanted to do. You wanted to. Uh, you wanted to go for Division One. Um, mm-hmm. Talk to me about now. You've been a Division One assistant coach for this is year nine. Nine years assistant. as a Division One yeah. assistant coach. Walk yeah. us through the responsibilities in being a division one assistant coach?
0: Yeah, and th- they'll vary from program to program. When I I, I went to Texas a Corpus Christi, my head coach's name was Willis Wilson. And he was somebody I was very, I, I, I grew to have a great relationship w- with. He was a, a great mentor. Um, he had been a head coach since 1992. So he was an experienced coach. Um, he was the head coach at Rice University for a lot of years. And uh, one of the things that I really appreciated through that process was he, he spent a lot of time, he invested in me um, and really kind of taught me and showed me a lot of things about the business. The biggest responsibility as an assistant coach that I had was getting across the message that my head coach wanted to the players. Mm-hmm. Not how I felt about it, not what I thought about it. It was what my head coach wanted those players to understand. And for me to be able to break it down, break down what my head coach wanted to digest it and then to relay and convey that information to the players in a way that they can digest it and they can process it and that they can see it. And so, because a lot of times coaches and players speak two different languages. And I think it's a mm-hmm. huge, huge, huge deal for assistant coaches to be able to be like a person bridges the gap between what the head coach wants and what the players need. And so be able to get that information and get across. That was probably the, the biggest thing, you know, everybody said recruiting players, you know, um, all, all these other things. Those things are important, but it's not until you get those players on the same page with the coaches and getting those guys to understand what we're trying to accomplish here, that your program really takes off. And as a result, we went from six wins to 18 wins to 20 wins to 25 wins. And, and I like to think a huge portion of that was just making sure that the players understood I had their back coaches understood I had their back, but relaying and being a conduit between that information flowing back and forth between the players and the coaches.
1: I like what you said there. A couple things. One, communication Mm -hmm. is one of the most important things for an assistant basketball coach. Mm -hmm. And, And you also said, not necessarily what I want, but what the head coach wants. Sure. And there are many times where as an assistant coach, you feel like, you know what, I have a better idea than what the head coach mm-hmm. has. And mm-hmm. he doesn't get it like I do. And he doesn't know the players like I do. But you do the right thing. And you do what that head coach says. And you communicate it that way. And you don't let your mm-hmm. own personal agenda or personal thoughts mm-hmm. get mm-hmm. in the way of the head, coach's, the head coach's goals and the head coach's plans. And you know, you attributed that. You saw the wins go up exponentially by you. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure the other assistant coaches putting aside your own ego, putting aside mm-hmm. your own agenda, and mm-hmm. saying whatever the head coach wants, that's what we're going to communicate to these guys. Mm-hmm. Um, you touched a little bit about recruiting, and I think recruiting is a big part of your job. Um, mm-hmm. What do you What do you look for when you're recruiting a player?
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, I'm, I mean, not to be sarcastic or anything, but the first one is, you know, they got to be good. <laughs> yeah, of course, of <laughs> course, they have to be good. You know, you know, uh, you know, unfortunately, you know, I've seen some tapes in, in my lifetime man, and they haven't been necessarily as good. And I've looked at them like, oh, my gosh, you know, but, you know, it is what it is. So I, I, I think there's a lot of things, you know, I, I you know. First thing, obviously, as an assistant coach, not all players are for all coaches, and I don't care how good that player is. Not all players are for all coaches. And so the first thing you've got to do again is as an assistant coach is you have to identify. What it is that your head coach wants, the kind of players that he likes from a personality standpoint, from a basketball skill standpoint, and just emotionally and mentally, what they can handle. You know, um, mm-hmm. like I know all players aren't capable of playing for Coach Burton like when I played for him because he was tough. He yeah. was very honest, he was very direct. And that was something for me as a player that I appreciated. Like one of the things I loved about Coach Burton is I always knew why I stood with him because he told you. And yeah. I love that. me personally, I love that. So that lets you know that, hey, you needed to work harder because you weren't where the other guys were. And I I, I appreciated that directness. And so for me just a little bit, um, I kind of look and evaluate what my boss wants. And I try to go out there and actively recruit that. I don't recruit for myself. I recruit for my head coach. And I think that's something as an assistant coach that I try to practice um, on a daily basis. And I know that sounds pretty easy, but it's a lot tougher than you think.
1: Oh, it's very tough. I mean, you say you want good players. and but you, 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 the gyms you go to are full of good players. And, no you're, and, you're, and you're going into teams like the ones you played on with multiple Division One guys and guys with a ton mm-hmm. of different offers. And, you know, you're not recruiting a guy who's only Division One offers from your school. And mm-hmm. so, you know, everyone you look at is good. So it's interesting for me to say that you – to hear that you know your coach's personality and you mm-hmm. see – and you're – one of the things you're looking at, is that going to mix with this player's personality? Mm-hmm. And and I think that's a that's a great way of of getting players because, like you said, that's you know you could be the best player in the world, but if you don't respond well to the coaches and the coaching staff, you, sure. you're not going to be you're not going to reach your full potential, and eventually it's going to cause anger and resentment, which is going to tear the mm-hmm. team up anyway. And so you you look at that personality when it comes to the players and what they can do for you. In mm-hmm. that way, I think that's great. Now, your role as an assistant coach. Um, you are definitely, I think, a part of the skill development training when it comes to mm-hmm. the players, correct? So mm-hmm, you work mm-hmm. a lot in skill development. Talk to me about mm-hmm. how you, you're you at a high level of basketball, how you develop mm-hmm. these individual players skill wise to get them ready to play.
0: Yeah, sure. I, I, I think you got to take it like a, a, a whole part whole perspective. You got to look at mm-hmm. the big picture of it, you got to break it down, and you got to put it back together. And I try to explain it to them in those terms too. You know, I try to tell those guys, you know, if, if it's a player who um, aspires to be um, an all-conference basketball player, but they're deficient in a certain area, I try to break it down to them and say, hey, this is what we need to work on. We need to break it down. And this is why. And then we'll break it down and then we'll put it back together and say, if you do these things, this is where you can be. So you've got to paint a picture for these guys. You have to be able to articulate it to them in a way that they can understand and they can digest it. And when you do that, it allows them to really, it allows those guys to really be able to take off. And I think, you know, one of the things I do I, I try to tailor make each workout for each guy. Like I don't try to do a blanket workout for each individual because all players are different. And I try to do a few things and tweak it. I try to make it um, something they can enjoy, and I want them to know that it's something that I've, I've I've put my heart and soul into so they can get better. And again, it's not about me; it's about getting those guys better. And it's also spending time, again, I, I keep saying this, but as an assistant coach, spending time with the head coach and seeing what that vision is for that player and then being able to put that together and work it out. So, like, um, with the skill development stuff, lots of shooting, um, lots of dribbling, um, lots of conversation about their game, passing, moving without the basketball. I try to incorporate a lot of those things into the workout because I think those things are the very – um very core of ba- that the very core basics of basketball um those are some of the things that I think they're super super important and again I and mean, the other one is I always like to finish out a little workout with a little conditioning because I think at the end of it you know when you're shooting when you're tired to be able to push yourself past your limits a little bit it's not like anything crazy I'm not trying to kill them but just something to push yourself past your limit in your workout and like I said, out of shooting at basketball because these days, man, shooting is such a big part of the game.
1: I like what you said about Taylor making each uh, workout for each player and not all – not no two players are the same. Mm-hmm. And that really speaks into how well yeah. you're able to evaluate them and how well you know their game and what they need to do individually to get better. Um, when you train your players, do you do it within the scheme of your team's offense and defense? Like for example mm-hmm. let's say you're you know you're running gun team do you practice mm-hmm. drills that work with that or versus you're a slow it down team do you get away from the run and gun drills how do, how do you how do you now you you tailor make it to the individual how do you mm-hmm. then do it that works with the way the team concept is or is there a difference
0: yeah yeah i, I think uh you have to do both because each part you know different portions of the game and depend upon you play you know styles when you know in boxing they used to say styles win fights you know in basketball you know you may be a fast break team but what happens when a team slows you down and they force you to execute so now you've got to be able to incorporate that portion of it into your game and if you're a team that slows it down what happens when the team presses you and picks you up the up full court up the floor makes you play faster you know gets you out of your comfort zone so I think it's important to be a well-rounded and to have both of those things encompassing your skills so like I think you got to bring both parts of it into your game because basketball is never one way. As we all know, basketball is super, super unpredictable.
1: Yeah, very unpredictable. You talked yeah. about this all the way through your coaching career uh, relationships and how yeah. important the yeah. relationships that you have with your players are uh, to your team's success. Can you give me a couple ways that you build relationship with the players uh, throughout the course of their recruiting and their time there with you and even after?
0: Um. So, I, one of the things that I, you know, when I'm recruiting a guy and I really lock in on a guy and we talk about relationships, the first thing is I want those guys to know they can talk to me about any and everything. Like, there is nothing off limits. Um, like, there's nothing off limits. We can talk about anything from personal life, girlfriends, to past trauma that you have in your life, to good things that are going on in your life. So, I want to open up the doors to communication. Like I don't want them to feel like there's stuff that they can't talk to me about.
1: Will they this talk to you this about this frustrations? Will they talk to you with you about frustrations with the head coach?
0: Oh yeah, oh yeah. And 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 I think that's a trap that you have to be careful for, especially young coaches. That sometimes those players are using you sometimes to try to manipulate like the head coach, and you got to be aware of these traps. Not all information, to be honest, goes back to everybody. Sometimes there's certain things that you got to deal with yourself. with those players and you know you've got to find out the fine balance with that Um, but I think relationships are a huge 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 deal like you can't coach players you can't recruit kids without having high high level relationships you can't win a championship without having high level relationships and those things require um, extreme amounts of communication they I mean I've, I've had players cry to me I've had players laugh with me I've had players that are still having success as pros that I speak to on a regular basis. So my whole process in recruiting those guys, I want them to understand that this relationship is going to extend past college basketball. It's going to extend to you becoming a pro. It, it'll, it'll be for life. If you play for me and you're one of my guys, this relationship will be literally for life. Um, you talked about how you were going to have Andy Newman um, on later on tonight. He's somebody that I speak to on a daily basis. I see him on the road. I give him a hug. I tell him I love him. He tells me he loves me. I mean, these are the type of relationships that will go well past your college basketball playing careers if they go right.
1: And so you build that throughout the course of your time there. I remember when I was, uh, you know, at Fullerton, our coaches were involved everything from housing to grades, uh, sometimes even walking kids to class, practice, games, uh, making sure they had food at night, um, you know, and everything in between. Is your relationship with your players similar to that?
0: Uh, no question. No doubt. I mean, in, in this time right now, you know, we're, you know, we're dealing with COVID right now mm-hmm. and it's been trying as can be. I mean, it's been super tough. And I know one of the things that we try to do is get on FaceTime with the guys. There's a, we have a, we have a zoom call with them later on today, just to make sure everybody's doing well. Um, trying to talk to those guys. And again, you know, I, you know, things, my experience tips me off to certain things and, you know, I may pull a guy to the side and talk to him and ask him some stuff, and kind of pick their brain I think one of the other things too that goes uh that's 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 really critical um spending time with those guys outside of your office Mm -hmm. you know a lot of times when people come into your office the desk between you makes things very formal and so sometimes it limits the communication um spending time with those guys outside of the basketball court when and so that way, the conversations sometimes aren't even about basketball, and so you can get a real and honest and unfiltered version of those guys. And those are some of the things that, you know, I, I try to I try to do with our guys a lot. So I don't know if that answered your question. Right no,
1: it, right. answered, absolutely yeah. it Absolutely answers it. Absolutely answers it. Um, so now you know, you as a coach, you're, you're always growing. I mean, as players, when we were mm-hmm. players, we'd work on our craft, and you talked about it with the fundamentals, dribble, pass, and shoot. Mm -hmm. We don't play as much as we used to. Now our craft is coaching. And Mm -hmm. what do you do some things now to work on your craft as a basketball coach?
0: Yeah, no, that's, that's, um, that's great. You know, personal development is a a really big deal in our business. I mean, this being on a, on this call right here, here with you is, Mm -hmm. is personal development right now. It's allowing me to be able to get out and share my story and share my philosophy with other people. And, and hopefully it inspires some other coaches and, you know, whoever other coaches who are ever listening to this stuff right now, man, if you've got questions that you want to ask, man, reach out to me, email me, and I'll get back to you as quickly as possible, or find me on social media. But I, I try to talk to other people in the business just to get their philosophies and their takes on different things. And I try to pick as many people's brain as possible. Um I spend time with my previous coaches that I've worked for and played with, um, uh played for and try to pick their brain because they've seen basketball in a different light than I have and just try to get their perspective on a lot of different things. But lots of conversations with lots of different people. Um, it's, that's really the big deal. And then and then honing my craft too, I watch a lot of film, mm-hmm. especially in the off season. I'm looking at film of different players, different coaches. I try to keep an ear about what the NBA is doing mm-hmm. um, because whatever the NBA does, it usually trickles down to college basketball. And so I try to look and see what, steps and what direction the nba is headed in and i try to kind of be out in front of that stuff a little bit to be able to uh implement that into my own my own uh my own personal development
1: what i think uh you know one of the things i think people need to understand is that you know division one coaching really all coaching you're talking Mm -hmm. 60 70 80 hours a week no question question. On, on campus it's all day and then when you're off campus you're recruiting And then when it's off season, in a normal circumstance, unlike COVID, but in a normal circumstance, you'd be on the road six days Mm -hmm. a week watching AAU teams, Mm -hmm. watching other teams. And Mm -hmm. then when when you have nothing to do, then it's, you know, hey, texting your players, calling your players, checking up on them, seeing how they're doing, making sure you know that that relationship's still there. And so Mm -hmm. it is a a 24-7, 365 business. Um, Mm -hmm. And it's a tough business, like we talked about before. What is some, last thing I'll have for you here. What is some advice that you can have for young coaches or even, even coaches who listen to this and say, I want to be a division one head coach one day. What is some sure. advice that you have for those guys or girls?
0: Yeah, I, I would say that. Um, um, The current job that you have, make it your best job. I think a lot of times in this profession, we always get caught up and focused on the next job and If you're always worried about the next step, then you can't do your current job as effective as possible. The best information that I would say is if you do a great job at the job that you're doing right now and you keep doing it, you'll get recognized because people find talent. People find talent in the most obscure places. I was watching the the last dance the other night and I didn't realize Phil Jackson coached in Puerto Rico. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then he got sent out to i think it was albany if i'm not mistaken and he was coaching basketball there Mm -hmm. and so my point to that is that jerry who who's the gm of the chicago bulls found him in albany and he was coaching in puerto rico so he didn't think that he was going to be coaching michael jordan four years later you know he said i'm just gonna do the best job that i can i'm gonna soak up all the best information from the people that are around me because, you know, obviously he was there and he was learning from text winners and learned the triangle offense and implemented it. And, you know, the rest is kind of history. So currently do the best job that you possibly can where you're at. Make your current job the best job and you'll get recognized and you'll get your opportunity to move forward. I and they think- spend a lot of time and network with a lot of other people. When you're off seasons around, go and spend time with other people. Get an opportunity to go meet local college coaches at all levels because people move around and this business is such a uh, such a transient business, and yeah. so just just spend a lot of time with as many people as possible. You know, one of the other things too, so you we were talking about relationships, and, and this is one other thing I wanted to add. Um, I remember I was coaching a player, and um, and we had we had someone come in and speak to our guys about mental health one time, mm-hmm. and and he was a sports psychiatrist, and he worked with our team very closely. And some of the things that our kids opened up to us about that were going on in their personal lives, you would be amazed at. You would be so surprised and you would be so shocked. And you never really know your players until they open up to you. And you can't coach them effectively until you find out what's really going on inside of them. You find out what's really making them tick. And, like, that's that's so huge, man. It's, it's something that just – you, you got to do and you got to find out, man. If you really want a coaching team, you really want a championship level team, you got to get those players to open up. You got to find out what their fears are. You have to find out what past traumas they're dealing with because sometimes those past traumas keep those guys from moving on and getting to the next level of who they're supposed to be.
1: I think that's, I think that's a great way to end. Relationships with yep. the players, getting to know them, um, doing everything you can for them is why we got into this business. Yep, And it's refreshing to hear a college coach of your stature not come in here and talk about wins and the Final Four and big contracts and things like that, but talk mm-hmm. about getting to the core of a player so you can help mm-hmm. him as a man. I think that, no uh, that's very refreshing. So I appreciate you being here with me. I appreciate you taking out the time. I know you're a busy man even under this crisis. Uh, but thank you very much for joining us.
0: Man, I appreciate you having me, Nick, and all the best, man. Anything I can ever do to help you, man, you just let me know. Okay. Thanks, buddy. No problem.
1: Well, that does it for the podcast. I hope that you enjoyed it. If you'd like to reach out to me, you can email me at Nicksonado at YMail.com. See you next time.
0: Hey, are you a musician or someone with a small business and want to get more attention to your business and to your music? How about you... Hit an ad with
1: the MTNV Sports Podcast. By doing that, all you have to do is DM
0: me, Nora Natish, at Nora, N-O-R-A underscore Natish, N-A-T-I-S-H, on Instagram or Twitter, and I will help you be able to get your song on our song of the week list and your ad
1: for your business on MTNV Sports Podcast episodes. Hit me up if you want that hookup.